Oh, it's good to be back. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of this Monday night's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Sorry we had to miss last week, but uh, it is harder than Hades to have an Internet radio podcast when you've got no Internet in your studio. So we had to delay last week, and unfortunately we had to do that. But this week we are back, and one of the big things we want to talk about tonight is the fact that the Cleveland Indians are going to have practically an entirely new lineup tomorrow night in their ball game against the Tampa Bay Rays. But in order to talk about the Reds and the Indians on tonight's show, we've got to bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm great, Dave. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Just uh, having a bang-up time here. <laughs> well, I've I, I got to uh, I gotta say, I'm sitting here uh, you know, watching the Reds uh, with the, the sound turned down, which is always better because I don't have to listen to Tom Brenneman. Uh, but the Reds are actually winning against the Dodgers. And, it, it, you know, isn't it weird? Baseball is, is such a strange game. The Dodgers obviously go into the playoffs. They have a great team. The Reds swept them in Los Angeles, <laughs> in L.A., <clears throat> and now the Reds are ahead 10-4. to 4. They could lose this game, believe me. Uh, but it's just amazing how baseball, I, I think unlike any other sport that I know, has these kinds of incongruities in it. We're a team so much better. The Reds go on the road. They play lousy historically in L.A. They go into L.A. when they're having a horrible year again. The Dodgers go into the playoffs, and the Reds sweep them. It's just, it's, it, that's why I like baseball so much. Do you remember when the, um, the Reds were the big red machine, and they always had a tough time with the lowly Chicago Cubs at that point? Yeah, and another team they had problems with, it, 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 for a long time was the Mets of all teams. Yeah. When the Mets were really bad, and I remember the a couple times, the Reds would like win, you know, they'd win the season series perhaps, but they always lose six, seven games to the Mets. And at, at, at tough times, they would lose them. But that's when the Mets were, you know, beginning that run toward 1969, and they had, you know, young guys in their starting rotation that if they got any support, they had like Jerry Kuzman and Tom Seaver and John Matlack and uh, some other guys who who ended up being Hall of Fame pitchers. Uh, but you know that they would throw up a, a good game sometimes, and they'd be tough on a lot of teams. So uh, again, that's the thing I like uh, a lot about baseball is the the idea that any team on any given night with, with the with the right pitcher, uh, you know, can beat anybody else. That's 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 the beauty of the game. Absolutely. Well, okay. Let's get into it. One of the best things, uh, I, I guess, when I, I look at what I missed last week and being able to talk about, Mark, was the big trade that the Indians pulled off to get Josh Donaldson, uh, an American League former MVP, all-star third baseman, hasn't played since the month of May due to a calf injury, uh, but was ready to come back off the DL for Toronto at the end of August, and of course that Indians pipeline between Toronto and Cleveland, with Mark Shapiro being the president of Toronto, thank heavens uh, for one of the first times. First of all, I thank Toronto for taking Shapiro off of our hands, and now I'm thanking Shapiro for turning over Josh Donaldson. But, first of all, let's talk about the trade. In your opinion, I, I think it was a great pickup by the Indians no matter what. 
What do you think about the trade of the Indians picking up Donaldson? Well, it, it's really it's it wasn't a trade; it was a rental. Uh, I don't yeah. know if they're going to sign. You know, is Donaldson going to you know be a long term solution to third base with the Indians? I don't know. Um, it, it, these things. The, the thing I admire about the, um, the the Indians is they went out there and they said we're going to try and win the whole thing. And yeah, you may have given up a lot of talent to do that, <clears throat> but how many times when this window opens for a team, <clears throat> when the opportunity is there, we've complained year in year out. You know, the, either the Indians or mainly the Reds, they don't step up and try and win it. And that goes back to 2010 when the Reds won the division, and we said from the All-Star break on, they need another hitter. They need another hitter. They need a left fielder. And they refuse to get one. So what happens? They get blown out in three uh, in, in 2010, and they, they refuse to go out there and spend the money. So I don't know what this trade's going to look like in three years, but right now I think the Indians did the right thing. Okay, now, now this trade, Mark, to be honest with you, this trade has really spurred a couple of different avenues off of it. Now that the Indians have got Donaldson, first of all, they're going to change their entire lineup, and I want to ask you a couple things about that. They're going to move Jason Kipnis from second base, and he's going to go to center field. Now, Jose Ramirez is going to move off of third, and go to second base. All these changes are going to take place tomorrow night when jo- when Donaldson comes off the disabled list. Ramirez will go to second. Donaldson will go to third base. Now, no matter what Terry Francona has said, even if Donaldson gets hurt, it's done. It's over. Ramirez plays second. Kipnis is at center field. We'll find another answer for third base. But right now, Donaldson is our third baseman. I want to ask you a couple questions about this. First of all, we're at September the 10th. We're three weeks away from the playoffs. The Indians obviously are going to be in the playoffs. They're, they're five, their magic number is five. Is it too late in the season to be experimenting with changing not just your lineup, but your position players in such a drastic fashion? No, I don't think it's too late, but I, I read this today about Kipnis going to center field. I can't. I, I couldn't believe it when I read it. I, I, I don't think he's. You've seen him play more than I. I don't see him as anything. I mean, if an average center fielder on a scale of ten is five, uh, I, I don't see him as a, a three in center field. Uh, I don't think he has the arm for it. I don't think he has the mobility in center field. And with that pitching staff, they they depend on good defense. And I, I don't understand why he is your solution in center field. I, uh, you've got you've got me baffled on that one. I, I don't know either, but they are convinced that Kipnis can handle center field. They're convinced of it. I, I'm not sure if he can or not. Now I, you know, everybody keeps going back to the fact that in the World Series two years ago he ended up playing center field and he made a diving catch in the World Series in center field. Okay, that's great. That's one catch. I know Kipnis came up as an outfielder. He played a lot of outfield in the minor leagues, but there was a reason they moved him from the outfield to second base. This is not an easy transition to pull with three three weeks left to go in the regular season. I, I understand why they're doing it. I get it. I see the need for it. I've talked about it all year long that the Indians down the road are going to have to move Ramirez to second base. 
I think Ramirez is, is playing great at third. He'll be an even better second baseman. He'll be an improvement over Kipnis at second base. But Greg Allen has been hitting the baseball for the Indians. He's been playing excellent defensive center field. You're taking a guy that has been playing, and, for, and most and to be honest with you, Mark, he's been better than what a lot of people thought he would be in center field and at the plate over the last two months of the season. Without Greg Allen, I don't know where the Indians would be right now. They'd still be searching for a center fielder because Zimmer's on the DL, so's Naquin. They've had such a catastrophe in the outfield this year. They're lucky they're in the division they're in. That being said, putting Kipnis into center field, it's a gamble. Yeah, I, they must be thinking that they start Kipnis and they, if they get a lead, they bring in uh, Allen, and that's the only thing. But you've seen Kipnis play more than I have, but in you know my experience is he is not a guy you can depend to play center field. I, I, I don't see it. I would not put him out there. Uh, I, I think defense, don't forget, when you get into the playoffs, the vast majority of playoff games are low scoring. Yeah. They rely on pitching and defense. And a guy like Kiptis in center field can cost you two runs in a heartbeat uh, just because he can't catch a fly ball. So uh, I think it's strategically, with all the offense you have, you don't need Kipnis as bad. But I'm not sure Allen was that much worse than Kipnis offensively. And I think you give up a lot defensively with Kipnis. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Mark. Now, the other the other side of the coin is I think your infield defense becomes a lot better. Ramirez is is a better second baseman than he is a third baseman. However, he was playing gold glove third base this year, without a doubt. But you move in a former gold glover at third base and Josh Donaldson. So I think it's a step up at second base, and you're even Steven at third base defensively. Well, Donaldson in the short term, I mean, for the rest of the month, I mean, assuming he's not hurt, and I don't know what he's done. I know he, I think his first at bat in in AAA he had a grand slam home run. I don't know what else he's done down there, but uh, if he can play to the Donaldson level, uh, you know he's the guy you want at third base, and he could he's going to drive in runs. And again, uh, I think the Indians did what a team that wants to win a World Series does. They don't worry about next year; they worry about next month. All right, now let's go to the other problem, the other story that that branched off of this trade. And that is the fact that the Astros, the Red Sox, and the Yankees all filed a complaint with Major League Baseball that the Indians were able to pick up Josh Donaldson so easily from the Toronto Blue Jays. In fact, tonight a story uh, that aired on CBS Sports, and I want to give uh, proper credit to it, Dane Perry of CBS Sports said that the Indians... Picked him up basically for nothing. He hasn't played in the majors since May 28th because of a left calf injury. He was on a minor league rehab assignment at the time of the deal, which means he was eligible to be dealt during the revocable waiver period. Now, that being said, the Indians acquired him before the end of August, but Houston, Boston, New York all said they they called Major League Baseball and questioned this because the Indians put him on the DL immediately. Well, not immediately, but they say immediately. But within a couple of days 
of acquiring him. Now, the Indians' whole po- whole stance on this has been they sent Donaldson to the minor leagues because they wanted to get him major league ready. It had nothing to do with the injury, and in order to make him major league ready, they wanted him to take some at-bats in the minors, and because of the contract, they had to put him on the DL to send him to the minors to be able to get some at-bats. The Yankees and Red Sox are still questioning that, they're still complaining to Major League Baseball. Houston got the explanation and dropped it. Now, do you see anything fishy about this, Mark? No, I don't. Um, you know, given when a guy's coming off injury like that, it, it's a dice roll, and he's going to be a free agent. And I, I just don't think there was a lot of interest in him. I mean, how many teams? It, it has to be a contending team. So let's say when that deal went down, there were, I don't know, eight teams or maybe even ten teams that were qualified or could qualify for the playoffs, how many of them would want Donaldson? You know, it just doesn't seem to me that there was that kind of interest in him. And because of the contract and because of the limited number of teams in playoffs, because of his salary and all that stuff. So, you know, I think the Indians just stepped up and and beat everybody to the punch. And uh, I, I don't see they did anything untoward. Well, I think the Yankees and Red Sox are just upset that they they wanted him just to make sure that nobody else got him, which I get. But then you could say the same thing about Andrew McCutcheon. They turned around and they got Andrew McCutcheon on a waiver deal. The Yankees did. Uh, they didn't need McCutcheon. They they don't need him, but they wanted to keep the Indians from picking him up so they didn't have that righty-lefty platoon between Cabrera and McCutcheon in right field. So they went out and got Andrew from the Giants in order to keep the Indians from getting him. And in all honesty, and ironically, that's what turned this whole thing around. The Indians, when they couldn't get McCutcheon, they turned around and went to Toronto and said, what's it going to take to get Donaldson? You know, the same thing I heard happened with Harvey, Reds pitcher Harvey. Um, the Cubs uh, were going to, I guess, pick him up on waivers or make a deal with the Reds. And Milwaukee drafted him, or, or, or got yeah. him on, on waivers, and and then the Reds pulled him back. <laughs> so that kind of stuff happens all the time. Teams will try and grab somebody before an opponent, uh, you know, grabs that individual. So I, I, I don't think they did. And if they did anything wrong, they could have filed a protest, but nobody did. No, they they didn't. But I I'm actually you know I think the Reds should just go ahead and sign Matt Harvey. Oh, I do too, and I think they will. I, I think they now. I think they'll offer him a contract. Now, don't forget, uh, if this were next year, I, I know they'd do it because they got Homer Bailey, he of the one and twenty record in his last uh. starts. Uh, you know, it, it's that, that is such a depressing deal. It, it, it's it's negatively impacted this team more than any deal I can remember in the history of this team. And I'm not being the, the only other deal. Obviously, was Frank Robinson when he was traded, but it's just a, a ridiculous decision by this front office to sign this guy who, even when they signed him, was only three games over 500 yeah. in his career. It just doesn't, a seven-year deal at over $20 million a year, who is smoking what? It, it's just <laughs> a ridiculous deal. Yeah, I, I, you, I never got it. You didn't get it. Nobody, Nobody understood it. But you can't blame Homer Bailey for accepting it. They offered it to him. Well, of course not. I don't blame him. I blame the idiots in the front office who made the conclusion that Homer Bailey was a better bet than Johnny Cueto. 
That's what they did. They made a choice and they picked Homer Bailey. Homer Bailey is a, a was a mediocre pitcher, and he, he was a cancer in the clubhouse. He still is, and you know it's just he's a prima donna. He refuses to go to the bullpen when he has the worst ERA in baseball of the last two years, not just one year, two years. And he says, I don't want to go to the bullpen because they don't warm up well. Well, that's uh, that's too bad. We're paying you $20 million. Get your ass down there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why front offices just don't, why they tolerate that stuff. I, I don't, I, I agree with you. I don't get it either, Mark, you know. But, hey, on the other side of the coin, uh, Robert Stevenson, he's contributed to the organization. He kept Daytona alive in the playoffs. Yeah, and that's another, you know, but with him, he is just a prospect that has never panned out. He, he didn't make, you know, he, he didn't sign a $100 million contract. And so those things happen to organizations. They draft somebody and it doesn't work. But when they have a look at this pitcher like Homer Bailey for year after year after year, and somebody concludes they want to pay him on average over $20 million a year, for seven years, uh, that is just egregious, yeah. incomprehensible malfeasance of the front office. I, I don't know how else to say it. Mark, Mark we're going to go over the playoff standings here in a little bit. The Indians come into tonight's action against Tampa Bay with a record of 81-62. and 62. Magic number of five. They're up by 15.5 over Minnesota. The Reds are 61-83 and 83 on the season. They're 23 games behind the Cubs and in last place in the National League Central. I say that because they had a really good spurt going through the middle of June, all of July, and into August, and they seem to have tailed off now. What's the status of uh, Jim Riggleman as manager? I don't think they're going to bring him back. Um, and it's, it's, it's not just the win-loss record. But what I've seen this team, it, to me, is they've, they've thrown in the towel. And that's what you want from a manager is to keep your guys pumped up. And I just see a lot. Last night, a game they could have easily, should have won. Uh, they just didn't seem to care. And that will get you fired quicker than anything. That's your one loss record. But the, the, the team, to me, it just doesn't have that whatever it takes to give you hope in, in, in this team. And, you know, tonight is an example. They had a 10-4 to 4 lead. And now it's 10 to 6, and the Dodgers had the bases loaded with the one out in the seventh inning. <clears throat> and, uh, year after year after year, they just don't have pitching. And that again is an organizational problem. If you can't develop it, then trade for it. But they refuse to do it. They, they simply refuse to make deals for pitchers who can do anything other than come in and, you know, blow five run leads in the seventh and eighth inning. And that's, that's what you have in this pitching staff. Mark, when, when the Dolan brothers bought uh, the Cleveland Indians from Dick Jacobs, the the one thing I was upset about it. First of all, the Dolans came in and they they were cheap. They 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 took the cheap way. But the one thing that they said in the press conference when they announced the the sale was, "We are going to build this team around pitching," and they said that is what our drafts are going to look like from now on. We are going to get pitchers. Pitchers, pitchers. The Reds seem to have gone hodgepodge in their drafts. They take infielders, they take shortstops, 
They take catchers. Uh, they'll take a pitcher. I mean, for example, you know, they went out and they drafted Hunter Green first a year ago. Uh, Hunter Green was basically a no-brainer. But there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason as to how the Reds have strategically handled their drafts. Well, I disagree a little bit with using the draft to, to get pitching because pitching takes so long to develop. And if you, especially if you draft a kid out of high school, it, it takes four. I mean, Hunter Green is arguably the best pitcher to come out of the draft in the last, what, 10, 15 years? Uh, I, I can't think of one. Maybe uh, Schlossberg may have been the last big arm like that. Yeah, but what what has he done at the major league level, to be honest well, with you? Yeah. Well, that, that's my point. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you wait a long time. You always have the injury problem. Uh, I think the better strategy is to develop the best position players you can get in the draft. Because a lot of people are taking the pitchers, but Hunter Green, it, it'll take him another three or four or five years to get there, particularly if he has surgery next year, and he might. Uh, so he, he's he's a long-term solution to a long-term problem. But if you draft position players, guys who can play every day, number one, they have longer careers. Number two, and that's what the Cubs did. The Cubs, they went out and got the best position players they could during the draft, and then they traded for pitching. I think it's a much, much better strategy because if you trade for a, a number one starter, he's probably number one somewhere else. So you know what you're getting. You know if he's injury prone. You know he's going to give you some innings. And that is a much safer bet than, you know, putting your, giving $8 million to Hunter Green as a high school pitcher. I mean, I just, I've never understood that because here it is, 2018. We probably won't see him. On a, on a major league field to, what, 2022? Yeah, it could be now, not now, especially if he has that surgery. Sure. I mean, so uh, I would I would develop position players to the draft, and I would trade for pitchers. That, that would be my strategy if I was a GM. Even though, now, again, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. When you look at the Indians pitching staff this year, they've had injuries to the staff. Salazar went down early in the year. Trevor Bauer is down right now, although he's... He's ready to come back in about a week or so uh, from from that uh, broken ankle. Um, you know, the Indians have been able to bring up guys, you know, in in, in Bieber, and you know, uh, they they've also been able to bring up Clevenger. They've been able to bring up Plutko. You know, they've got a pipeline down there right now. Over the last, yeah, it's been a ten year, twelve year ordeal for them, but. They've got guys that they have drafted, Mark, that they have cultivated and and really got that pitching going for them down in the minor leagues now that they can they can reach down, bring somebody up, and they'll give them a good opportunity. Yeah, I'm not saying you don't draft pitchers. I'm just saying if you're going to build your starting rotation. Okay, your starting rotation, did they all come through the Cleveland no. Indians farm system? No, you're right. They did not. Okay, that's no. my point. I mean, you, you can you can mix and match, and maybe you you go with a second round draft pick of, of of a pitcher who has good control and he can give you a lot of innings. And if you want that starter, you go out and sign him from another team. But it's the eight guys behind that pitcher that play every day that is going to make up your team. And even if your pitching isn't the best in the league, if you've got great defense and you've got good offense on the field, you're going to win a lot of games. 
Mark, you know, what, what's going on in September right now, Tom Hamilton, the Indians radio announcer, he, he has complained about this for several years. I'm not sure how, uh, Marty Brenham has, has discussed it over the last several years, but Tom Hamilton complains a lot about the rosters in baseball expanding to 40 men in the month of September. Now, that may sound trivial right off the bat, but if you think about it, his comment is, you've got pennant races right now that are being determined by franchises' best prospects in the minor leagues. And in all honesty, he's got a point, Mark, and you've got... You know, you talk about baseball games that that last a long time. You know, baseball wants the time cut down on this. Well, with the rosters expanded out to 40 in September, you've got managers that almost every other batter will come out and change the pitcher because they've got those pitchers down in the bullpen now. Your thoughts? Uh, I'd say so what? Uh, it, it's I, I don't see that. I'm, I'm a believer that time of baseball games is absolutely irrelevant. I agree with you on that, yeah. I, I, I just don't see it. And, uh, and I was telling a friend of mine yesterday that, uh, I think it was two years ago, I timed an NFL football game with a stopwatch. <laughs> I had nothing else to do, and I'm sitting there. I remember I was eating my chips and my hot dog, and I, I had a stopwatch. And NFL game is literally three hours long. They have a time because first game starts at one, second game starts at four. So, And you have time... How many minutes of action do you think were in an NFL football game where the quarterback hands it off to the running back and he he, uh, he about twenty minutes about twenty minutes about seventeen okay seventeen minutes of action now think about a football game have all the timeouts they have they have forty five seconds before between each play, and then they don't run it until it's down to, you know, three or four seconds left before they hike the ball. And then you have the, the, the back run into the line, and you start over again. And there's just no – it's and the commercials last, I think, even longer than in baseball. It's, it's ridiculous how little action there is in a football game compared to baseball. Mark, the pitcher is pitching every 20 seconds. Mark, Saturday night. I was down at Moorhead State University doing the Mount St. Joseph-Moorhead State football game. It was televised on this new streaming device that ESPN has called ESPN+. Plus. It's the first time. I've been to games, football games, that have been televised before. I've never broadcast one. Mark, it is insane the amount of time that they use for breaks and and if you're there in the press box or if you're there in the stands and you watch the players just meandering around the field waiting the referees continuing to look over to the the TV man to try to see is it time for us to go yet it, it's amazing how much time is wasted during breaks that the players are ready to play they're on the field they're in their positions they're ready to go and we're waiting for the TV timeout to end. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went to a Bengals game three or four years ago, and it was a cold day down there. And I saw, I was so, I got up and left in the third quarter. The timeouts they had, people standing around the cold, waiting for a play, and I don't know what, what the big attraction is to NFL football. Honest to God, it is, the time is just wasted, 
the game would be so much more interesting if they, again, charge more for the commercial, okay? I'm not saying reduce your revenue. Shorten the time. It's just, it's mind-numbing. And the, the game that is fun to watch because they don't have that is basketball. College basketball, they don't have that timeout issue. And it, it's a much more compelling event to watch. But if, you know, if NFL is worried about why people aren't showing up, uh, it's not the then, kneeling. It's, it's not, it's not the kneeling. It's the, yeah, you're right. It's the yeah. fact, and they've got so many rules. You can't hit the quarterback anymore. You oh, can't, that's ridiculous. you can't tackle anybody below the waist, but you can't tackle them above the shoulders either. It, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's crazy. But back to the original question. Forget the time of the game. Does Tom Hamilton have a point that in September, pennant races are being determined by some teams Best minor league prospects. Well, yes, but it's it's part of the development of the team you're playing. Now, most most managers, if, if that's is, let's say they're playing an important game against a contender, well, they'll put their best team out there. You know, they, they that's kind of a courtesy you extend to the team that, that's not playing. You know, the, mm-hmm. the team is in competition with the team you're playing, and, and most adhere to that. But on the other hand. Uh, in some cases, this is the only time you're going to have a chance to see a, a, a young player come up and compete. And so I, I don't have a problem with it. it, it it's as old as baseball. And I tell you, most the Reds, I think, only brought up three or four players. And this is a team that you would think would want to bring up a lot of guys. <laughs> so I don't I think a lot of teams are overdoing it in terms of the, the, the roster moves they have. But uh, there has been consideration of expanding major league rosters anyway, mm-hmm. you know, to, tw- to 26 or 27 players as opposed to 25. I don't know where that magic number comes on 25, but yeah, I don't think it's an issue. I think Tom may be over overstating that. Mark, another thing that I want to discuss with you is um, when you look at these rosters and, and how they get expanded, um, one of the teams, you know, the Reds just got done playing San Diego. Francisco Mejia was one of the players that the Indians gave up as a catcher to the Padres. He played pretty well against the Reds. I know you had an opportunity to see him. What were your thoughts about him? Boy, he's got a quick bat. <laughs> he's got a real quick bat. I think he's uh, – I finally saw him play three games, in fact, parts of three games. And he looks weak defensively to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know over a long period of time what you have seen with him. Um he, he just didn't look solid, and he's a young kid, so he, you know you assume that he's going to get better. I didn't see that he had a spectacular arm; it looked like a decent arm, but I did notice his bat, and I can see what got him to the big leagues. I mean, a catcher who could hit like that, and he, he may not hit for a lot of power, although he had two home runs you know, against the Reds. Um, I can see why he had a 50-game hitting streak. You know, he's got that kind of electricity in his bat. Yeah, one of the comments I think I made about a year or so ago, or maybe even earlier this year, is the Indians, I felt that there was something that they saw in Mejia's game that just didn't translate well to the major league level. And my well, guess is... What do you is, think about that? What do you think about losing him? I mean, you were a huge supporter of him for, for three or four years. I mean, do you yeah. think... 
That was a bad deal? No, I don't think it was a bad deal at all. The thing that turned me off about Mejia is is um, the fact that he did not want to move to the outfield. Um, he he just, you know, he's a minor league ball player. He had the opportunity to come up and play full-time at the major league level in right field, and he wanted to stay at the catching position, and, and that turned him, that turned me off on him, and I think it turned a lot of the Reds, or the, the Reds, a lot of the Indians' front office off on him, and, and the, the deal that San Diego proposed, or the Indians proposed to San Diego, however you want to look at it, I think was a fair one, and it, and it helped the Indians out, not only for this year, but next year, the year after that, and the year after that. Well, it's, uh, you know, when you have that kind of talent to play with, you can get good talent in yeah. return. And that's the weakness the Reds have. The Reds just don't have anybody who is superstar quality that I see in, in, in double A AA or triple A. That's where you're going to feed your roster to the major leagues the next two years. And there's just no, you know, there's nobody down there that, that should be on the, you know, the major league roster in 2019. And that, that's a scary, <laughs> That's a scary proposition. Yeah, I want to, you know, some friends of ours, Mark, at the uh, Joe Nuxall Miracle Field, sent me an email here this evening, earlier tonight. I want to give them a little plug here this evening. On Wednesday, November 7th from 5 to 10 p.m., they're going to be holding the Oscar Event Center at Jungle Gyms in Fairfield, Ohio. They're asking everyone to join them for the 5th Annual Joe Nuxall Miracle Ball on Wednesday, November 7th at the Oscar Event Center at Jungle Gyms in Fairfield. It's the fifth anniversary of the Miracle Ball and the major fundraiser for the Joe Nuxall Miracle Fields. The evening is going to include a reception that includes hors d'oeuvres, cocktails, dinner, live and silent auctions, a raffle, and it's just going to be a great program. They are going to honor Charlie Frank from the Cincinnati Reds Community Fund. He began his career with the Reds as the executive director of the Community Fund in 2004, and since that time, Charlie has led his team to become one of the foremost outreach programs in Major League Baseball. Now, you can call and set up tickets. They're $125 each, uh, and you can contact the uh, Joe Nuxall Miracle Fields, and that is at T. Lubbock. That's T-L-U-B, as in boy, I-C, at gmail.com. T. Lubbock at gmail.com. To order your tickets, they're $125 a piece, and they go to a great cause. I know you've been there, Mark, so have I. Just an outstanding facility in Cincinnati. By the way, as we're making announcements, uh, you and I talked about this uh, earlier in the week. Uh, we have a, a close friend and baseball aficionado, and a very knowledgeable one in that, down in Arizona, who's a regular listener, Jeff Lowry. And uh, I invited Jeff to join us on our, our final what I'll call dual show where we talk about the Reds and the Indians because I think the, the last show is what, uh, October 1st, I think. Is well, the, no, it's not the last show. No, not the last show, but yeah. the last show will be primarily talking about the Indians there on out yeah. because of the playoffs. So I've asked Jeff Lauer to join us on the 1st uh, of uh, September, uh, October, I mean. So uh, just for those of you who uh, we're going to be talking about the Reds, that that day probably more than the Indians because we'll talk about the Indians the rest of the playoffs. But um, Jeff is a very knowledgeable uh, announcer down in Arizona. Has done a number of games on um, on TV and, and radio down there. And we always in, invite him to come in and give his insight into the Reds. And uh, look forward to speaking.
good, Jeff, and I really like to get his idea on what the Reds do going forward. No, no use looking back. Let's look forward, and I, I appreciate his input and insight. And I am efforting to get a former radio personality in the city of Cleveland that I have a uh, a uh, personal contact with that I'm efforting to get this individual on that night. We haven't been able to solidify it, so until we do that, I'll kind of hold off on announcing whether or not they will be able to join us. Nonetheless, uh, we'll be doing that on October 1st. That comes up at 9 o'clock here on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark, I know you've been talking about this for a couple years, and the way that pitchers and the way that Major League Baseball could change the way that they use pitchers. Um, I lead into this, and I'm giving you a huge hint. Do you know who in Major League Baseball, since May 28th, has the best team ERA in the game? I'm going to guess Atlanta. No. No. I thought that was a brilliant guess. No. The Tampa Bay Rays have the best ERA from top to bottom of any team in Major League Baseball since May 28th. Now, what makes that date so plausible? That's the day, Mark, that they decided to go with a three-man rotation per game. They started They started their closer, Sergio Romo, in a game because their starters couldn't get out of the first or second inning, and they started to rotate pitchers, and they were pitching them every two or three innings, just two or three innings at a time, and they'd bring them into start innings. And ever since then, it's worked for them. They're in third place in the, in the Eastern Division of the American League, a very tough division, and they've got the best ERA of any staff in baseball since the date that they did that. I've been thinking about, as you know, I've been talking about this for the last two or three years, and it's more than just getting a Justin Verlander under contract and hope he doesn't get hurt and go out there and pitch nine innings. Number one, that doesn't happen anymore. And lucky if he goes six or seven innings. And the more innings you pile onto a pitcher, the more likely he is to get hurt. And, you know, my whole point of view was, why don't you bring in guys who can pitch two or three innings, but they pitch three times a week, they, almost like a schedule, just like a starter knows when he's going to pitch. And that's what Tampa Bay is doing. And I, I think the the idea of of doing that it is highlighted by what happens every year in the playoffs because that's what happens. And, and you know, Madden was the guy who really started that off. But it, it makes so much sense over a long period of time where you have – I mean, Verlander could come in and start a game or come in in the fourth inning – and if he knew that he was just going to pitch three innings, I doubt anybody would get a foul ball at that guy because he'd be letting it loose as hard as he could. And then he's he's rested. He's, he's You're not going to risk, risk an injury. Injuries do not come by throwing hard. They come throwing hard over a long period of time in tough situations. And that's where you get arm injuries. So I, I don't think this is a wild theory and I'm glad that Tampa Bay, and, and you told me somebody I didn't know, that they, they were still doing this. I know they started doing that. I wasn't following the team, but doesn't it make sense that you could have a, a 13-man rotation and you, and you break your, your each game in, into thirds, 
And in some cases where you don't have to use one of your better pitchers with a big lead or, or, or you're, you're behind early or whatever, you save your pitching staff. Mm-hmm. They're all fresh, and and, and they, they're they not hurting themselves. And, and I don't know why more teams don't do it, but if Tampa Bay continues to do this next year and it works, baseball teams are like lemmings. They will follow that lead. <laughs> Mark, you know, I've brought up my father a lot during this show over the last eight years that we've been doing it. And, you know, brought up some of the things, some of his ideas, some of the players that he's seen throughout the years. And he finally asked me, he says, you gotta ask that guy you do the show with. Yeah, he doesn't remember you by name. He remembers me. Well, most of the time he remembers me. But nonetheless, uh, he says, you gotta ask that guy that you do the show with. He said about pitchers. Uh, he said, I, I know he's a little bit younger than me, which, which you are. Uh, so my dad remembers a lot further back than you probably do. However, you still remember the time where the leagues were all one. They didn't have divisions. Uh, they played 154 games. They didn't play 162. They started out in the middle of April, towards the end of April. Uh, you know, around April 15th, income tax day is when the season normally started, right? That's right. Okay. And ended a lot sooner in September, and the World Series was over usually around the middle of October, correct? Correct. Okay. His question to you is, do you think, he, he get, he, he says yes, of course, the pitchers have problems because they lift weights, they, uh, you know, all this, all this contributes. What about the change of weather where they go from 30 degrees in Minnesota pitching on their one start, and then the next day they're out in L.A. pitching in 80-degree weather. What do you think about that? How much does that affect a pitcher's arm? I don't think it affects an arm as much as it affects the performance of a pitcher. I mean, you've, I don't think you ever pinch, but I've pitched in weather like that. Number one, you can't feel the ball. It's so slippery, you, you don't. And sometimes you overthrow because of that. I don't think it's necessarily the cold weather. It's the fact that you can't feel a damn ball, you know, when you, when you have it in your hands. And baseball's no fun when you have a wind chill factor of 24 degrees. Oh, God, no. You get snow flurries and all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, baseball tries to cram in as much as they possibly can and in terms of games and innings and all that stuff. And it's, it's to the de- detriment of the quality on the field. And I, you know, I think I remember your dad's right. I remember. You know, April 14th, April 15th, that's when it started. And typically, the, the last game of the season was in the last week of September, and the World Series started, you know, October 1st or September 28th yeah. or something like that. That, that. that was very normal. The other thing that your dad will remember is back then, there were four-man rotations. Mm-hmm. And the reason they had four-man rotations is they played fewer games. They had more off days. You didn't need a five-man rotation. And with with no off days during the 162 game schedule, you, you have to have uh, an extra pitcher because uh, you, you, I remember the Braves back in the 50s. You know Warren Spahn and Lou Burdett and Bob Buell and, and those guys, uh, Juan Pizarro. Those guys didn't miss a start. <laughs> you know, they, they pitched every game, all 154. But, but baseball has changed. Yeah. Well, before that, what was it? Spawn and Sane and Pray for Rain? Yeah, it was back in the, it was before my time. It was back in the 40s. Yeah. 
Yeah, Warren Spahn. Uh, Warren Spahn couldn't throw a you know, hit throw harder than probably 88 miles an hour with his fastball. Yeah, a, a lot of the pitchers, though, you know, Mark, they have the problem now because they lift weights during the off season. They think they've got to muscle up to throw the ball harder, and I think that, you know, we've talked about that. It's a detriment to their arm. Well, it's a detriment to the arm, but it, there's a, it's a detriment to the performance, too. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing, these hitters. Uh, you know, I've gone to a batting cage where I've, you know, juiced the thing up to as fast as it can go, and it's probably equivalent to 95 to 98 miles an hour. And over time, I'll gear up to it. You know, I'll go, okay, now I got it. I might take a few foul balls or swings and misses, but you gear up to it. And if, if you, and that's what's happened in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the major league players, mm-hmm. I don't care how hard you throw it, they're going to, to catch up with that stuff. And it's a law of diminishing returns. These pitchers, especially the young ones, they keep throwing harder and harder and harder. And what's going to happen? Well, their arm's going to go. Yeah, yeah, right, right off their arm in some some instances. Let's look at the standings in the National League. Atlanta. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Mark. Nobody can nobody could say that Atlanta. Uh, is not putting up a great year. They're 79 and 64, and they keep right there, and they've opened up a four and a half game lead over Philadelphia. Everybody thought Philadelphia was a shoe in to win that division, or maybe Washington, and Atlanta has really put the brakes on both those teams. Yeah, I, I'm happy for that because everybody thought they were going to be at least a year away, and I like that team. And yeah, I, I bet a Kuna kid, he, man, he's the real deal. And I think they're they're a team that is you know developed right. Everyone said you know they're going to be a 2019 2020 team, but uh, they've done a good job in bringing in some good young talent. And uh, I think they're going to win the division. National League Central: The Cubs have got a two game lead over Milwaukee. What do you think? Can the Brew Crew close that and maybe win that division? Yeah, of course they can. They they got some games left with the Cubs. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but, you know, that is going yeah. to be, I, I, you know, that last year, people forget, Milwaukee lost going to the playoffs on the last day of the year. They yeah. lost the last game, and they could have made it to the playoffs. So that that team is a good team, and, and I think the the window in Chicago, you know, they're pitching. That, that surprised me that they didn't go out and get more pitching. I really thought they would go out and get more pitching, but they didn't. So we're going to find out if that's going to come back and haunt them at the end of the year. And St. Louis is right there. They're only four and a half games back. Yeah, I, don't, I, I never did like that St. Louis team that much. I mean, they're playing really well now with the new manager. Uh, but I, I don't think they're going to catch. If, if they had to catch one team, maybe they're not going to catch, I don't think, both teams. You don't think so? No, I don't. Um, how about over in the National League West, um, where the Colorado Rockies have got just a two-game lead, or, or excuse me, a half-a-game lead over the Dodgers and a two-and-a-half-game lead over Arizona. Yeah, that's an exciting division. And, again, every loss like the Dodgers have to a team like the Reds, it's just a, it's a devastating loss. I mean, I know they came in here to Cincinnati after the Reds swept them in L.A. earlier in the year with the intent of just coming in and, and you know, manhandling the Reds, and they might. This game isn't over, and they got two games left. But 
you lose tonight, uh, and then the Reds have won five in a row, and now you think, geez, can we actually beat this team? So every loss to a second-division team like Cincinnati hurts a lot more to a team like the Dodgers. So, yeah. Uh, I like Colorado. I, I think they're, they're an exciting team, and, man, Arenado, I think, is the, he's one of the best third basemen I've seen play for a while. And I, I just enjoy watching him. When I see them on TV, I stop and, and watch that team play. The wild-card teams right now, Milwaukee is the top wild-card team, and St. Louis is the last wild-card team. They are a game in front of the Dodgers heading into tonight's action and three in front of Arizona. Yeah, this, the last two, three weeks of the season, I always get jacked up to watch other teams play because everything is on the line. These guys have played, what, 150 games so far this year, plus spring training. They're tired, and yet it's the most exciting time of year if you're a baseball fan. And uh, There's a lot of interesting matchups this year, and teams that are surprising. I was sorry to see over the American League that the Athletics had fallen off the pace. I thought that was going to be a neat story, you know, going down to the wire, but Houston's just too good. Well, let, let's look at the American League West, because right now Houston is only leading Oakland by two and a half. Uh, Oakland has made another comeback. Yeah, they have. I just don't have faith in that team compared to Houston. If it was another division, yeah, maybe. Uh, like if they were in the, against Atlanta and Philadelphia in the East, I think they might have a chance to pull up. I don't see Houston. Houston went through a bad streak. I don't see them going on an extended losing streak. Now, the only thing that can happen is they play Oakland at the end of the year, and Oakland, you know, yeah. sweeps them or something like that. That's always in the cards. But uh, I know they had dropped. In fact, they, they went ahead by half a game, I think, the A's did. And then they fell back four or five games, and now they're, you know, they've won the last three or four games yeah. in a row, I believe. Yeah. So yeah, that, that that's an exciting team, and it's a great story. I always like it when a team like that comes out of uh, the woodwork and, and contends. And Seattle has fallen off the wayside. They're ten games out now, so they're virtually out of it. Boston is leading by eight and a half games over the Yankees, so they've got that division pretty much wrapped up. They've also got the best record in baseball at 98 and 46, and the Yankees are at 89 and 54. And then the Indians are going to be the first team to clinch, Mark, although they've got the worst record of anybody that is leading their division, 81-62, and 62, but they're 15 and a half games in front of Minnesota. When you look at the wild card standings in the American League, pretty much a fait accompli who's going to be in the playoffs. Boston, Cleveland, and Houston are the division leaders right now. The Yankees are easily going to be the top team, although... Here comes Oakland again. Not only are they just two and a half games behind Houston, Mark, they're two and a half games behind the Yankees for the best wild card record. Well, again, the the, the team that would worry me going to the playoffs, it's the Yankees. I think the Yankees... Even uh, without are, Chapman? Yeah, even without Chapman. I, I think that team, that lineup, it can be so devastating that... Uh, that they would scare me. There's a lot of teams in the American League that can win it. Boston can win it. Cleveland can win it. Uh, Houston can win it. These are all really, really good teams. And so somebody is going to be very disappointed at the end of the year. Typically, you go into the playoffs, you have one or two teams, you think, yeah, those, and, and you, normally you're right. Uh, that team is going to, you know, step up and win it. But this year, uh, particularly in the American League, there's a lot of teams that can win it. Okay, I'm going to throw this out at you right now. If the season were to end right now, Cleveland would play Houston. 
in the first round of the playoffs. Who do you think would win? Houston. Okay. Boston would play the winner of the wild card game between the Yankees and Oakland. Who do you think they'll face, and who do you think wins? I think they'll face the Yankees, and I think the Yankees will win. And okay, so that means it means for the second straight year, it would be Houston and the Yankees for the American League title. Who wins that one? Houston. Houston. So Houston goes to the World Series in the National League. All right, if it was to end today, all right, the boy, and this is close. I mean, you're talking. Let's go with the wild card game first of all. Milwaukee, St. Louis. Who wins that one? Milwaukee. Okay, so Milwaukee would end up playing the team with the best record, which is the Chicago Cubs. So you got the Cubs in Milwaukee in the first round. You know, I, I'm going to pick Milwaukee on that. Uh, I, I just think the Cubs, I hear the creak of the window closing. And I, I really think that they they didn't do enough. And, and of course, it, it really depends what happens with, um, what's the third baseman? Um, Chris Bryant? Uh, Bryant, yeah. If, if he comes back healthy, he had been on a DL for a while. And it, he, he's a big part of that offense. But I don't think their their pitching is of all the teams we've talked about so far. I think they may have the the weakest starting pitching uh, in, in in all the teams you mentioned. I can't think of one that would be weaker. Okay, then you've got two teams that really nobody knows anything about: Atlanta and Colorado playing in a playoff series. That to me that would be cool. That means that one of those teams will make it. Yeah, you know they're they're going to move on. So uh, I kind of hate to see them play each other uh, because it would be kind of cool if one of them had a chance to you know to go to the World Series. But um, I like Atlanta. I think Atlanta is 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 really pitching well and they're and they're playing well. Okay, so Atlanta and Milwaukee, boy, a couple of TV markets that Fox is just going to go nuts over. Uh, playing in the National League Championship Series, then who do you got? Uh, Milwaukee. So Milwaukee and Houston in the World Series. That's who you're saying, huh? Well, right now, I, I can't think of a team that has, I mean, Milwaukee with Yelich now hitting the way he's hitting. I mean, that is a devastating offensive team. They're one of the best offensives I, I've seen in baseball for a while. And I saw Yelich the other night get six for six against the Reds, hit for the cycle, and he's continuing to hit that way. He's just a, a great hitter. So, yeah, I like Milwaukee as a dark horse. No, no question. They're not, the, you know, they're not the prime time team that I think most people would pick, but I, I think they, they have a chance to go all the way. Mark, in the waning moments of tonight's show, I've looked up the Reds' uh, 30-man prospect list, the top 30 prospects that they have, and this is kind of interesting because the top two are both on the DL, Nick Senzel and Hunter Green. Nick Senzel, the top prospect, Hunter Green, the second top prospect, and they're both on the DL. I mean, it's, uh, that's why wasting drafts and millions of dollars on high school kids, and, and since I was a college kid, but um, that, that that's the risk you run. And with Hunter Green, the only good thing about Hunter Green is, you know, the Reds had a decision to make. Do you make this kid a shortstop or a left fielder, or do you make him a pitcher? If his arm was injured, this guy could have been signed very easily as a position player. He's got that kind of talent. So you do have a backup plan with him, but clearly with an arm like that, he's 17 years old and throwing 103. That's that's a special arm. Yeah. Taylor Trammell is the third-ranked prospect. What do you think about him? 
Well, I liked the way he looked. I saw him play seven or eight games on TV and on the Internet. And he, he's a powerfully built young man. It looks like a football player. Uh, very fast, very, very strong. But he didn't have a good year. Uh, his numbers weren't that good. If he's your number three prospect, expect him to be hitting in double A. He should be hitting, what, 310, 315, 330. And, and last time I looked, he was down in the 260s. So is are there secondary numbers I'm not seeing? Uh, or is he, again, an overhyped guy that uh, maybe is a 4A player or just a, a run-of-the-mill major leaguer? It's too early to tell with him. He's got all the physical tools. And I tell you, I like former football players as baseball players. Well, I always like that. And here body you type, go ahead. The body types last longer. They're not afraid of contact. They, they have good speed. They, they're strong. All that stuff. So I like Trammell, and I think he, he'll be a good player. He just hasn't shown it yet. Here's another third baseman too, Mark Jonathan India. Yeah, it's, it's way too young, to, too early to tell with him. Although he was a junior when the Reds drafted him, now, he's supposed to be uh, one of the best hitters in the organization, just from a you know, swing perspective and bat speed and all those things. So he's only played, what, a month, two months of, of professional baseball, so it's a little early to, to judge him. But they drafted him out of college for a reason, because they believe he has the talent to move up quickly. That's why you draft a college player. Okay, the last one I want to ask you about is the number six prospect. We're skipping over number five, Tony Sandion. The number six prospect is a catcher, Tyler Stevenson. Been around for a while. Uh, I think there's, they drafted him young right out of high school, and uh, they have a lot of high hopes for him. I, I don't see him. I saw him play in Dayton. He doesn't have a lot of bat speed. He's got some decent power. I think he'll be a, a capable catcher behind the plate, but I, I don't see superstar written on his forehead. Okay, then, when you take a look at uh, – I want to send out props to the Indians right now because the Indians have got – Jose Ramirez, who has stolen two more bases tonight. Mark, he's a 30-30 man. 30 homers, 30 stolen bases. It's just the third ever person in Cleveland Indians history to do that. Uh, just an outstanding season for Jose Ramirez, except for the fact that he broke out of his slump tonight. Coming into tonight's ballgame, he was 13 for his last 89 at-bats, but tonight he's 2 for 3 with a couple of RBIs and a couple of stolen bases and a run scored. Well, he's another very he's special talent. player. Yeah, yeah, he, that's real talent there. And when we went down there uh, last month and, and saw the Reds and the Indians play, he was the guy who surprised me the most. He, he's smaller than I thought he was, but but he's so strong. You could tell with the bat speed. Uh, the guy can really rip, and uh, I enjoy watching him play. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up now over the next week as we head into the final three weeks of the season? Well, they've got tonight, of course, the Dodgers, and they got them the rest of the week. And then they have, uh, let me see here, they got Chicago coming in for three games. Actually, they go to Chicago for three games, and then they go to Milwaukee from there. So they're going to be playing contending teams the rest of this week and next week. And as far so that, that should be exciting. And as far as the Indians are concerned, they've got two more games in Tampa Bay. Uh, tomorrow night, the premiere of Josh Donaldson at third and Jason Kipnis at center field. And then they play them again on Wednesday afternoon. They've got Thursday off. And then the Tigers come to town for the ever-famous, Mark, 
Sugardale Dollar Dog Night on Friday night at Progressive Field against the Tigers this weekend. Life is but a dream. <laughs> Mark, we'll talk to you again next Friday or next Monday night, not Friday night, next Monday night. Have a good one, Dave. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Our thanks to Mark Donahue for joining us. Don't forget, coming up on Friday night, now I could talk about Friday night, we have got Roger Bacon High School football for you as they will be taking on Alter at Fairmont High School. Rob Rickenbaugh and I will be on the air with uh, the Spartans Rewind show at 6, the pregame show at 6.30, the kickoff at 7, and then Saturday afternoon we have got College football for you from Schuler Field here in Cincinnati. Mount St. Joseph University opens up the Heartland Conference schedule against Rose Holman, and that will be at 1.30 on Saturday, and we'll be on the air with the pregame show at 1 o'clock from Schuler Field on Saturday. Mark and I will be back again next Monday night with another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Thanks for joining us tonight, everybody. And again, until next Monday night, I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark. Have a good week, everybody.